Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I have an army. We have a Hulk. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. You make a sacrifice play. You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. I put a bullet in my mouth and the other guy spit it out. The only thing living in this world will be metal. Nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them. The city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! Oh, I'll get that out. Oh, this is awesome. Captain America. I know you too. You're great. The Under Channel. The Under Channel. Doctor Strange. Oh, you used to made up names. Um, I'm Spider-Man then. The Under Channel. You become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Welcome, true believers, to the Under Channel versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is Robert Under at my side, turning knobs and man in the drops, Aaron. Herbulary batteries. And our resident taser face, Steve. Hello there. Today we're going to be talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, released on May 5th, 2017 and directed by James Gunn. Guardians Volume 2 was the 15th film to be released and is the 12th chronologically. After Rocket skims a little off the top during their most recent mission, the Guardians are on the run when Peter Quill's father arrives to reunite with his long-lost progeny. These movies have been talked to death, so we're not going to dive too deep, but here's a couple points I'd like to discuss. My two dads. The main driving storyline behind this film is about the Star-Lord meeting Ego, learning that's his father, and kind of learning that he is a celestial or that he's a piece of a celestial, kind of science behind his relation to Ego. I know Ego came in the ground or something, and then, like, is Peter Quill part human, part celestial? Is that what it is? Yeah, yes. he, he, uh, he, Jesus and the Mary chained his mom, right. basically, is what happened. All right, so throughout this movie, you run into two kind of main dynamics because you have Yondu, who was the Ravager who picked Peter Quill up back when he was a youngster to deliver him to Ego, which is what got him in trouble for trafficking, was taking these bodies to Ego. Yep. And then you have Ego, who is his, I guess, biological, in the loosest terms, father. And I wanted to compare these two because if you look at Chris Pratt and you were trying to cast someone to play the father of one of his characters, I don't think it's possible to cast anyone better than Kurt Russell. No, that was, it was a perfect choice to pick Kurt Russell. Yeah, uh, his mannerisms, their types of humor, this, the way they look, every single thing in that scene led me to believe that Ego was his father. It's what you get when you get a true professional in Kurt. So much so, if they ever do do a remake of Big Trouble, I don't think there's any reason you should not have Chris Pratt play that role. I think he would do such a fantastic job. But This will never work! Comparing that with Yondu, who, I don't want to say Star-Lord blames him for kind of a rough life. Well, I guess that's kind of a fair way to look at it. Yeah. Star-Lord says, hey, I wasn't chosen. I didn't ask you to take me with you. And he's kind of disillusioned about the way he was treated. He wasn't really treated like... Yandu was so much his father, he was more so treated like kind of just member one of the crew and He's a Ravager. The new guy. Yep. Basically he raised him in fear and kicked his ass all the time. 
uh, pushed him around, made him do the dirty, nasty work, all under the assumption that if he didn't do it, oh, well, me and my Ravager friends here, we're going to eat your ass, Peter. Literally. <laughs> Some of them, anyway. Who uh, the fuck would want that? Steve, what do you think of the play between Ego as his biological father and then Yondu as his uh, the father that raised him? It fits the theme of the movie, which is fatherhood. Because, even, I mean, you also have baby Groot, and the other guardians are acting as Groot's parents. Oh, that's a good point, Steve. I like that one. I mean, even in your opening intro, that you see you see Rocket being the father going, no, take it out yeah, of your mouth. he's trying to eat that fly. And you see <laughs> and you see Gamora and Peter both trying to keep an eye on while they're trying to kill that trying monster. Trying to kill that big giant they're all they're also being great parents of losing Groot every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you gonna do when you get a kid like that? So Ego and Yondu both work very well in Gun's theme of fatherhood. And that's a great point connecting that to Rocket because both Rocket and Yondu in this grow up or mature from the very beginning, Rocket with him skimming the batteries off the top jockeying with star lord of who wants to be the pilot of the ship like yeah. all these kind of things like penis had a hand yeah rocket <laughs> rocket is showing up to be very immature which uh later on when he has that scene with yondu where he's like hey you are me yeah. i know how it is i know how you are i know, I know what you're you, feeling boy. that was fantastic to, to get to see both of those characters grow up in that same way and and, and off uh grow off of each other gamora and nebula at this sister, point in the movies, sister, I don't know anything about Thanos, um, but I, when this came out, story with Nebula, every time she lost to Gamora, it, like Thanos took away one of her body parts and replaced it with a cyborg piece. I wasn't ready for Thanos to be a bad dad. Like I knew he was going to be one of the worst, you know, villains in, in the universe. I just wasn't ready for him to be like such a terrible dad. One of the great sleazebags of our time. But also. The acting, again, in the scenes with Gamora and Nebula is so bad, so overacted. I feel she got better since the first Guardians movie, but you're right. Are you saying that Nebula? Nebula, yes. So Nebula's actor, actress is just so going over the top. But the, I don't notice or it. Or under the top. Are you saying it was robot? Like it was more robot? I don't know if it was robot. It was just not done well sometimes. Like she didn't deliver the lines in a way that made you feel what she was trying to deliver them as. And it either was overacted, it was robot talk, or she didn't deliver the lines strong enough. The only time enough. I feel like she overacted when she was bringing the ship down. She's just straight up screaming. Ah! Yeah. I, I, I said it like, in the first one. Like, it was like Rita Repulsa. Like her delivery was like this. And, but it was strange because I never noticed it when Nebula was interacting with other characters. Yeah, like when she goes to the Ravage. Right. Hello, boys. I never noticed it when Gamora right. was interacting with other characters, but when those two were the main in the scene talking to each other, it was so apparent that those two characters... They must not like each other in real life. Yeah, maybe not. Just, or just a fucking bitchy day on the set, I guess. <laughs> we talked a little Rocket and Baby Groot. Big part of this, Rocket Raccoon maturing from beginning to the end of the movie. But Groot was a fan favorite in the first movie. And somehow, 
they they moved the character to more of a background piece. I mean, Baby Groot still a fan favorite because he was a baby. Exactly, still a fan favorite. But they had done Groot traditionally the same way they had done him in the first one, without many lines. I think the character would have started to grow thin in this one. Exactly, that's why they had to change him. Yes. So they refreshed him, and then they were able to write the character in a very similar way, delivering the same amount without it becoming kind of a a bore. Imagine that challenge. You're the guy writing the script for a movie, and you're like, all right, well this character. He only gets three lines, but I need you to use those three lines constantly and in different ways. And it's only those three words. That's it. That's all you get. That's all you can use to write this character. In that order. In that order. (laughs) Exclusively. It was also surprising to me that they kept Baby Groot a baby throughout the entire movie. I was expecting maybe you would see some growth throughout it so that at the end when there was a big battle, you would get to see Groot come out into his own. But... They held true to it. You do get to see teenager Groot in the, the end, at yeah. the end, Credits, yeah. uh, which obviously leads you to believe next time you see them around, you won't have it at the very least baby Groot. But I was kind of surprising to see such a fan favorite character pushed away from the forefront throughout this movie, even though he does have some pretty important yeah, scenes. scenes as he goes. You could argue that Groot even got more popular when he was a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Because merchandise of baby Groot was literally Top, everywhere. Wow, everywhere. Oh, yeah. Dolls, plush, pop Funkos. There, so, there were like seven different versions of baby Groot. Yep. Hit when he had a Ravenger outfit on. Oh, yeah. And then the last member of the crew, we're going to do Drax and Mantis together. This movie really was, both of these movies, was all about the pairings of characters. There's very few times when any of the main characters were operating on their own. It was all about which other members of the Guardians are they working with this time and how those dynamics work. Drax and Mantis was very interesting because they're both super literal characters. The dynamic of them is very true. You never feel like either one of them is trying to play the other one. There's never any deception in it. There's just an honest reaction followed by a surprised honest reaction from Mantis. Except for when he invents a practical joke on Mantis. Which was awesome. (laughs) The comic relief in this movie from Drax is unbelievable. Personally, my favorite is when Mantis touches Star-Lord and it's like you feel romantic love for her and he he goes, I've never felt such joy. Or what does he he say? She touches him. He's laughing. I've never felt such joy and hilarity and humor in my life. Yeah. Because he's like, she just told you your darkest secrets. You must feel so embarrassed. I made a funny. But then Drax is so pure that if you see him laughing like that, the only thing that is going on in him is that is the greatest moment in his life. (laughs) One thing with Drax and Mantis is throughout these movies, we keep seeing characters being pushed towards having some sort of romantic Mm storyline. And the movie does hint a little bit at that with Mantis and Drax. But when a reporter had asked David Bautista about it, He actually said, we've decided that Drax and Mantis share a very likable innocence, and it's that that links them together. More than anything, he's taken on a big brother type role. That's the way I look at it. It's not so much that she's a surrogate daughter, because obviously, you know, Drax's main thing is he lost his family. It's more so that he's just a big brother to this character. They have that same kind of honesty to both of them that works very well. You're (laughs) hideous. With that scene, when they first introduced it, I could have swore they were going to drive towards those two having a romance. Yeah, like that was their way of flirting or something like that. Like That was his way of like... But he doesn't do that. He's his race is literal. He doesn't do innuendo. 
And you're endo. <laughs> and, I, and I'm happy about that. Like, not every character needs some sort of love interest, especially when Drax is a character up to this. The only thing we know about him is he's trying to get vengeance for his wife and daughter. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for them to try to push and even another. When, even when he thinks that she's about to get physical with him, he starts, like, throwing up in his mouth, and he's like, oh, and then he'll, he'll say, like, well, you're beautiful on the inside. And we'll end it with this. We talked about it in the volume one portion of this Drax being the point of logic within the team right he's the one who moves the team forward he's the one who presents the idea that's actually going to work which character was the one that said oh Mantis aren't you the one that helps Ego go to sleep Mm-hmm. Drax was the Drax one that presented, the one that, that, presented idea. that idea. Everybody else had their own idea. Well, we're going to try it this way. You got to try him head on. You gotta, we can't fight him. We got to run. Drax said, well, isn't your only job here to make him go to sleep? Yep. And even in the beginning of the movie, they say that the tentacle beast, his hide is too tough to pierce. Mm-hmm. So he's like, then I shall just go into the belly of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I shall do it from there. He's got common sense tactics that just happen to work when you're just a badass. They should have just cast Tom Hanks as Drax. Tom Hanks intelligence levels. No? <laughs> I think we should take a moment to recognize how improved Batista was in acting. Yeah, between the first movie and this between movie. Between this and the second movie. At the very end of the movie, you actually, like, it's concern that he shows for Quill is very, very like, top-notch. Very yeah. Very top-notch. It's very... And I was impressed that, like, a former wrestler was able to act as well. Pull that off that way. I have a, a little game to do with this. Is there any other reaction piece you guys want to talk with the movie before we do that? Game me away, boy. Game uh, on. All right, this is the Guardians of the Galaxy alumni game. The Guardians introduced to this film are only one iteration of the team since its initial debut in 1969. Neutsch. I have a list of 10 Marvel heroes, and I want you guys to tell me if they have or have not been members of the Guardians. All right. Number one, Kitty Pride. Has she been or has she not been a member of the Guardians? Sure. You think Kitty Pride has, Aaron? X-Men's weird, so why not? No, Kitty Pride was never a member of Guardians of the Galaxy. Steve, you are correct. Kitty Pride is in the all-new, all-different Marvel Guardians of the Galaxy. And she actually goes by the name This Star-Lord. is going great! She is the Star-Lord for the current version of them after what? Captain yeah, Kitty America. Pretty, Kitty She's in charge? Yeah, no, yeah. she like wow. she is one of the more badass uh, X-Men. Who plays her in X-Men? Is it Kitty Pro? No, that's Ellen Page. Ellen Page, that's what. Okay. I ignore that, but... She's, uh, yeah. Number two, The Thing. Or Thing. Is he or is so he? So he would break away from the Fantastic Four and be a Guardian. Uh, I'm going to say no. Aaron? I like it! Yeah, I think he was. Because the Silver Surfer part with Galactus and all that jazz, I can see why he would get involved. Absolutely, he is. He is a member of Kitty Pride's Guardians. Number three, personal favorite here, Devil Dinosaur. Has he ever been a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy? Who the hell's the dinosaur? It's a dinosaur. Is this a real person? Really? Is this a real character? I'll show you guys the comic book after this. Hmm. He's a giant red dinosaur with a, like a little primordial ape like as his sidekick. So uh, he's a baby dinosaur? No, he's a big-ass T-Rex. Oh, okay. He's a space T-Rex. I thought you said he was a little dinosaur. No, he's got a little humanoid who how, rides how, his back. How does this work? No. What the fuck kind of operation are you running here, man? You telling me how to run my business? You coming here with a baby in a bag? What's that? Uh, no. Yeah, no, Devil Dinosaur was not. Good call, <laughs> Good job, guys. All right, the Hulk. Was the Incredible Hulk ever a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy? 
Yes. I don't think so. I think he plays alone too much by this time. He was not. Dark. Number five, Moon Knight. Oh, my boy Moon Knight, yes. Yeah, I know you love some Moon Knight. Was Moon Knight ever a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy? It's a very obscure character. No. Steve? Well, you think yes? I said yes. Oh, no, he was not. Oh, no. come on. <laughs> Number six, Iron Man. Yes, yes. Yes, he was in Marvel Now. Number seven, Silver Surfer. Mm, yes. He's too powerful. No. No, he was not. But yeah, he, I think he that's interacts. He's I just, hate this game. He even interacts. if Silver Surfer's a part of your part team, of it, but he's, he's really not. just an affiliate of your team. Yeah, I'm falling apart. Right. Uh, number eight, Agent Venom. Really cool character I've learned about recently. Is he a symbiote? He is a, yeah, he's like a tactical uh, symbiote kind of. He's like almost the Punisher meets Venom. Hmm. No. Yes. Yes, he is. He is a member of the Marvel Now Guardians with Iron Man. And number nine, Fused. Ant-Man. Was Ant-Man ever a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy? No. no. Yes, he was. What? He was in the all-new, all-different. So it's Kitty Pride. all-new, all-different. Kitty Pride, the, the lame thing, name. Ant-Man. And finally, number 10, Firestar. Yes. Was he ever a member of the, or she ever a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy? Firestar. What a stupid name. You're a stupid name. Taser face. Uh, no. Absolutely not. They were not. I don't know who Firestar is, so it's, it sounded spacey. It did. It sounds very 70s Marvel. <laughs> to close out the first part of the show, we've decided to feature a single piece of dialogue that we felt best captured the essence of the film. Allow me to paint you a picture. After being imprisoned by Taserface following his crew's mutiny, Yondu's had enough of Rocket's tough guy act. <laughs> what are you laughing at me for? Uh, you can fool yourself and everyone else, but you can't fool me. I know who you are. You don't know anything about me, loser. I know everything about you. I know you play like you're the meanest and the hardest, but actually you're the most scared of all. Shut up. I know you steal batteries you don't need, and you push away anyone who's willing to put up with you, because just a little bit of love reminds you how big and empty that hole inside you actually is. I said shut up. I know them scientists what made you never gave a rat's ass about you. I'm serious, dude. Just like my own damn parents who sold me, your own little baby into slavery. I know who you are, boy, because you're me. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More websites are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Over 21 movies in 11 years, the minds behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe have worked to craft one of the deepest interconnected film series of all time. It's time for Aaron to tell us just how Guardians 2 ties into the overall storyline by serving up some connective tissue. Welcome back to the galaxy. So in the previous installment of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, we talked about a way that these movies connect within Groot dancing and Rocket and Groot, Groot and Drax, things along those lines. So you have a scene at the very end of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where Groot is jamming down to some Michael Jackson or Jackson 5. Probably going to get crucified because something makes me think that it's not a Jackson 5 song. No, it's, um, it's not ABC. It's, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's Want You Back, isn't it? Yeah. It's Want You Back, which is Jackson 5. Is it? Okay. So either way. Anyway, so he's dancing and every time Drax looks at him, he stops. He freezes. He doesn't want to get caught dancing. In the opening scene of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you see 
Groot jamming down to whatever that song was, Mr. Blue. And ELO. there's a point. Is that ELO? Mr. Blue Sky. Nice. The Electric Light Orchestra. So Drax falls down while he's fighting and he he sees Groot, but Groot freezes immediately as he's dancing. And when he looks away, he starts dancing again. Then Drax looks and he stops. He freezes again. So what this alludes me to is later on in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you have one of those scenes with Drax and Quill where they're really getting that relationship between the two of them solidified. And Drax tells Quill, like, there's only two types of people in this world. There's warriors and there's dancers. And that's all there is. So Groot, he wants to be a badass, right? He's supposed to be a warrior, right? And so is Drax. Drax is a warrior. But Baby Groot, Baby Groot got to dance. Baby Groot got to get down. But he wants Drax to still think he's a badass. He still wants Drax. He looks to Drax that way. He thinks Drax is really cool. He's like his idol. So anytime he's dancing, he cannot be seen by Drax. So it's kind of a cool little thing. I, I, I didn't connect that, but you that's awesome. That? That's really cool. Yeah, if, you, if you go back and watch the movie, you will not see Groot dancing in front of Drax. <laughs> it's pretty cool. As you go through the movie, you will see a very poetic duality within it. We talked about Rocket and Groot and their relationship. In the first Guardians of the Galaxy, you see Rocket jump up on top of Groot and get the big-ass gun and just start firing away. And he's just screaming and yelling and he's letting it all loose while they're all fighting everybody. In the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you will see little baby Groot get on top of Rocket on his shoulder while they're doing the same type of scene again where they're firing away and they're kicking everyone's ass. And you got Groot on top of him just screaming and yelling. So it's a pretty cool you know nod to the first movie and you know to how their relationship has kind of shifted a little bit you had Groot protecting Rocket now you have Rocket protecting Groot interesting fact Ego we've talked about Ego being the living planet as well as Peter Quill's father was a character that was owned by 20th Century Fox he should not have been in this movie at all he wasn't supposed to be but James Gunn went to bat for his own movies. He made a trade with 20th Century Fox. He traded characters out. He said, listen, I know that you guys are making a Deadpool movie and you want another character. Well, Marvel Studios has a bunch of characters that we don't need and you want a character to pair up with Deadpool and Colossus. So if you want this character, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, you have to give us Ego. They had no plans for Ego. Marvel Studios had no plans for Negasonic Teenage Warhead, so it was an easy swap. So for this storyline to take place, for this whole movie to even work, Deadpool had to be made. Who won that trade? Who won that trade in the end? Yeah, between getting Kurt Russell for Ego or the girl who plays Negasonic Teenage Warhead. For well, I, guess I think it only wins because Kurt Russell it, played such a great role for... You're asking casting, yeah. You're not asking character. You're, you're asking, asking casting. You're just asking based on casting. So if you're just going off the character of Ego versus I, I get the it. character I of Negasonic Teenage Warhead... I say it's a split draw. It isn't, though, because Ego drives your movie. Ego makes your movie what it is. 
regardless but, of who you would have cast to be Ego, who is well, if you if you Quill's miscast father, if you miscasted the character, everyone would have paid an Ego. Yeah, but it still drives home. It's still a story point. It's his father. It's it's the it's people the whole just, plot. People wouldn't have it. You think they wouldn't have accepted? Uh, they would have accepted it. It's just no, that it just no. There, there's Dan Aykroyd. Who are you gonna put in that role? That could I'm telling you. Kurt Russell is what made that role. If it was How somebody Bruce who Willis? wasn't, I don't think so. No, not Bruce Willis. He's not cool enough. He doesn't have what? like to be John Chris McClain. Pratt's dad. John McClain. So Chris Pratt's dad's gonna be bald. Yeah, why not? I'm cool with it. <laughs> it's not Bruce like Willis. Chris Pratt has luscious hair. He's got pretty good hair. If you look at Chris Pratt's hair, it just yeah. looks you like seen Jurassic pubes. World. He just got a blonde patch of pubes on his head. It, all right, I'm gonna say Negasonic Teenage Warhead wins because. She's going to be in more than one movie, most likely. And you'll never see Ego again. You would think not. Most likely you won't. Unless they go, they get, unless they get real deep in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. <laughs> That's a good point, though. I, I, I like that. But anyway, so in order for that movie to be made, there had to be a, a trade. James Gunn stepped up to the plate. Cool, it's a good one. And he went studio to studio. Later on, you'll have a scene where Yondu and Rocket are locked up. And the Ravagers are all sleeping, and here comes a disheveled, beaten down, discouraged little baby Groot in his little Ravager outfit, which he hates. He doesn't want to wear it. Thankfully, they didn't put a hat on him, because we all find out that Groot does not care for hats. He just hates them. So that part works out. But in that scene, they're telling Rocket to constantly... They want him to get his. They want him to get the fin for Yondu. He's got a prototype fin that'll give him his ability to control the arrow again. And they keep saying, hey, it's here. Go get it. And Groot repeatedly comes back with the wrong items. From a desk to... I can't even An remember. Eyeball. The eyeball is the one I'm going after. That eyeball is the one that Rocket asked for in the first movie when they were planning out the big battle for against Ronin where they're trying to figure out all the things that they would need to make it possible. And that's one of Rocket's little shticks is trying to get prosthetics for some reason. He just like Just when he wakes up, he's not going to know where it is. <laughs> he has no idea where his eye is. Yandu. We'll get some stuff on Yandu here. In the movie we find out that Yandu was a Kree battle slave. He was sold into slavery by his parents, so his dad never cared about him, much the way that Peter Quill's dad never really cared about him. You get introduced to Sylvester Stallone's character, which was like, when he popped on the screen, I did not expect to see Sylvester Stallone at all. I had the same reaction. I was like, what? What just happened? And I was like, is Judge, they're putting Judge Dredd in this movie? <laughs> so, Stakar saves him, that's his character. A little bit more on that in a minute. If you watch the movie, you'll notice with this one, obviously, you have Awesome Mix Volume 1 was in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And at the end of that movie, Awesome Mix 2 is the present that his mom gave to him that he finally opened. I don't know if it said, like, do not open till you're 34 years old or something, but... Either way, he finally opens that up and he finds that he gets a new tape full of songs. The coolest thing that they did in Guardians of the Galaxy when they wanted to implement that music, because it was such a success, the music was for Guardians of the Galaxy 1, they knew that they would make it just the same in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, 
but if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and you notice when the songs are played, they are literally played in the movie. They are physically played somehow, whether it's from the tape player, a tape deck, a PA system. At some point, that music is physically played within the movie to be heard by the, the characters that are in it. It's a pretty cool thing that they did. Yeah, so the characters are are hearing the same thing you're hearing. Exactly. In the Unlike any other movie where it's just laid over. Yep. So that was kind of neat how they, they did that. Now, does it always fit to what's going on? You could argue that part. Is it but, better than Captain Marvel? Yeah, it was way better than Captain Marvel. <laughs> Face-aging technology I thought was used great in this movie. You're going to see that throughout all of these Marvel comic movies, as you know, as we've already seen, as to what we'll continue to see going forward. Um, so just continue to watch the face-aging technology that they use on characters. I talked a minute ago about Stakar, the character that Stallone plays. He was one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, and he has a team that he has. And in the post credit scenes, you're going to see him reunite with that 1975 team. Martin X, played by Michael Rosenbaum, even though he's got a like silvery glitter ball face, you can't tell that that's who he is, but Michael Rosenbaum's, I guess, claim to fame was playing Lex Luthor in the Smallville series. Charlie 27, Ving Rhames, you know who that guy is from Pulp Fiction. Aletta Agord Stakars, kind of the sister of Sylvester Stallone's character, played by Michelle Yao. I'm not really sure of what she's done in the past acting-wise. Then there's a dragonish serpent-type creature called Krugar. Now, apparently, he is a mystic similar to Doctor Strange, just obviously on a different world. And then you have a severed or disembodied head called Mainframe, who's actually voiced by Miley Cyrus. In the movie? In the movie. Yep. At the wow. very end, that's who you see. So these are the original Guardians teams. So it makes me wonder if maybe we're going to see something in the further Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Or if it was just fan service. It could have been just fan service. Yeah. yeah. You get to see Yondu and uh, Kirk from Gilmore Girls and Rocket are going through all the time jumps or the space warp holes. You see a glimpse of a planet, and it is the world of the Cronins. You see two Cronins fighting each other. Mm. That was a pretty cool nod that they put in there, you know, to continue to show you those other worlds. I thought the best thing that they do to hint at what's happening next with Guardians of the Galaxy, though, was the cocoon that you see at the end of the movie that, I forget, what's the name of those gold people? The Sovereign. The Sovereign. So the Sovereign they engineer their own race. They basically grow them in cocoons and they've decided to make a super cocoon person and call him Adam. Now that's not the first time that we've seen a race of people basically make a super person in a cocoon. We're gonna go to Age of Ultron Avengers. Vision was grown in a cocoon. Let's take it back to the beginning, the first Avenger, Captain Steve Rogers grown in a cocoon it's a pretty interesting little one there yeah guardians of the galaxy doesn't have a ton that ties itself to all of the marvel comic universe but it crosses over in certain ways yeah because it's really this one is a continuation of, of their the origin first one exactly yeah. yeah just a continuation so it most mainly just connects itself when marvel launched the mcu they redefined canon for every one of their characters these versions are now the public perception of the guardians of the galaxy 
John Q. Public won't be referring to the quarter bins when defending their favorite superhero's badassery. They'll be talking about these movies. But that doesn't mean the stories being told are original, so let's check out where the studios found their inspiration. Thor number 132 from 1966, first appearance of Ego the Living Planet, who absorbs planets and space vessels to sustain himself and continue his interstellar conquest. Guardians of the Galaxy number 1 from 1990. Despite being created in 1969, this is the first series to be named for the group. So, this series ran for 62 issues, initially being developed by Jim Valentino, who left the book after issue 29 to be a co-founder of Image Comics. The story for the very first issue of the 1990 run, but are they ready for Taserface? <laughs> Taserface. And finally, Avengers 28 from 1966. This is the book where Giant Man and the Wasp officially join the Avengers in this story, which introduces the Collector. Half the fun of watching these movies isn't just what you should be paying attention to, it's little pieces of fanfare hidden in plain sight. It's time for Steve to strap on his floppy ears and share some Easter eggs. All right, Guardians Galaxy 2. Earlier, Aaron was talking about these cassettes that were being played throughout the movie. The awesome mix. So, prop master Russell Bobbitt has had difficulty finding the cassette decks used in the first film, and all the Sony Walkman headphones they found were broken. Really? Yes. So, Bobbitt contacted Sony to see if they had any available for filming. Sony had, didn't have any, so they had to build those headphones from scratch. That's pretty cool. According to the visual effects artist, Eagle's Planet contained one trillion polygons, and it's considered one of the biggest visual effects ever created. Wow, yeah. I read something about that, and the guy who made that, he was like a video game artist or something. Uh, James Gunn choreographed and served as motion capture for Groot's dance and opening credit sequence. It took the visual effects team nearly two years to complete that CG rendering. Because James Gunn's a shitty dancer? Also because the movie <laughs> is like 50% CGI, so I, I can just imagine how long that movie, like, from beginning to end took for just the CGI crew alone. Yeah, the behind the scenes must look terrible for that movie. Just <laughs> had tons of people standing around in green screens and green suits. I did see... Nodes all over I them. did see a scene where, um, it's like when Yandu was walking... And he has Rocket and Groot by his side. And it's just Yandu's actor just walking down a hallway. But it's like, <laughs> these characters, when they have so much CGI behind them, they have to use so much imagination. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask a question with that. Do you feel that Guardians of the Galaxy makes you appreciate the art of CGI? Or do you hold to what many people say, I would rather have practical effects? Like, that's what the Star Wars universe went back to. The Star Wars universe went back to practical effects. Guardians, I appreciate the CGI yeah. because I feel like it, practical effects would be too... I think it would just be too annoying to use for so, for how massive James Gunn wanted to hit, like, how far he wanted to go. Yeah, think about the initial fight scene. They're fighting that giant, like, beast on that platform. If they tried to do that with practical effects, it yeah, probably wouldn't have possible. Yeah, it would have just been like they're fighting against a wall. <laughs> puppet coming out. David Bowie was originally supposed to appear in this movie before his death. Yeah, I think they said they wanted to cast him as Quill's dad, didn't they? Or at least the vision instead of his vision of David Hasselhoff being his dad. Wow. It, it didn't. It doesn't state what they wanted him to do. It's just they wanted him in the movie. Yeah, I think I remember that because that's that's one of the things they you know Peter Quill always imagined who his dad was, and he imagined he would be the Hoff. 
Um, but then they just during the script writing process, at least it was suggested that maybe they use David Bowie, which would have been awesome because the Hawk's not that cool. Yeah, but I don't know. Would Quill have thought of David Bowie as being his dad? Yeah, a thirteen-year-old in nineteen eighty-eight yeah, in America. Yeah, probably no, not. Probably not. I know we saw some very weird videos with David Bowie the other day. Yes, we did. Called Music Videos Without Music. You need to check it out. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, we're going to be talking about Stanley's cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. During the montage with Rocket, Yondu, Groot, Kirk from the Gilmore Girls. That's who it is. It's James Gunn's brother. Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, they are traveling through all these interspaces, and you see Stanley talking to these uh, characters. He is mostly telling all his stories of him throughout all the Marvel movies. He's like, I've been a postman, I've been this, I've been this. <laughs> uh, these characters he's talking to, they're known as the Watchers. They see everything. Do you guys know who the Watchers are? Yeah, I know are? who the Watchers are. I'm, I'm very familiar with who they are. I don't, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I know who they are. I'm not an expert either. Pretty much they watch, they have power to watch literally over anything, mm-hmm. and they only interfere if catastrophic, catastrophic events is going to happen, where they think like not even the superheroes can st- stop them. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The time has come for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Giant Size Trivia Challenge. Aaron and Steve will face off daily to determine who's really paying attention as they attempt to slog through these films. Scores will tally throughout the month, and at the end, whoever has answered the most questions correct will be crowned the winner, and the loser shall face punishment. When we recorded Guardians of the Galaxy 1, that was our halfway point. That was the 11th movie. So I went through and I counted up the scores. It's a little hard to keep them tallying because we do these out of order as opposed to when they're released. But Aaron's up five to three. No, <laughs> you wish Aaron was up five to three. He's not. Okay. I'm Aaron, uh, Steve, you are correct. You have three points. Aaron has ten point five points. What? So you got a little bit of ground to make up. As mentioned each day, there is going to be a punishment at the end of this. I am totally punished. Um, <laughs> we're not Love gonna. Yourself. We're not going to go too far into it, but basically the punishment is at the very end, whoever loses is going to be forced to dress up like a character from uh, Marvel Comics and do a picture, do some sort of promotion for the website. Do either of you, you don't have to say them now, but do either of you guys have somebody picked out? No. I got nothing picked out for the no. eventual yeah, champion. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I didn't realize I was in such a lead. I should have I should have been more. Yeah. Who I, do I want to see Steve as? I got a good one for you, Aaron, but we'll, we'll talk about it off mic. But. I don't know. Please, no. Just like every day, I have three questions. The first will go to Aaron. The second will go to Steve. The third will be open for whoever answers first. I have given both gentlemen a buzzer. Aaron, your sound is. Steve, your sound is. I do need to hear that sound before you guys answer. So, Aaron, Eagle looks to build Peter's trust in him by telling him stories of the relationship with his mother, revealing what pet name that he used to call her. My River Lily. That is absolutely correct. (laughs) <laughs> Steve, after being locked together in the same cell, Rocket and Yondu task Baby Groot with retrieving the special fin from his quarters. The young sapling brings them a number of different items and one that truly horrified them. Uh, it was a it was a cut they cut off one he cut off one of the people's finger. Oh, that's finger. incorrect. Oh, you're so close though. You were right, but it wasn't a finger. Oh, it was a toe. It's a toe. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> uh, final one for today 
When Ego connects to his planet, he pushes out an energy that erupts forward on any planets where he left his seed. What fast food restaurant is shown being destroyed? Dairy Queen. That is absolutely correct. Steve, making up ground. And with that, we end the show. But fear not, we shall return tomorrow with Avengers Age of Ultron.